I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Your kidneys. Luckily, we get two of them. And surprisingly, although not something we want to set as a goal, it's an organ that we have created a machine that could allow you to do without. But we certainly don't want that to happen. Kidneys are very important, keeping the body healthy. And there are some certain medical conditions that can absolutely affect kidney function. And in the worst case scenario, sometimes people need to actually go ahead and be on dialysis. And if they're lucky, maybe get a kidney transplant. So today we're going to talk about that entire process. What do the kidneys do? What happens when they fail? What do we do when that happens? And then we've got a unique show today because we actually have a living kidney recipient and his donor, his sister, that we are going to hear from. That's Alan Young and Dora Young. We're going to hear from them in just a few minutes. But we also have Dr. Ramona Wong. She's a nephrologist and has made her life the point of educating people about the kidneys. Not only has she been in practice for a while, but now her goal is to make sure that people understand what do the kidneys do and why we need to keep them as happy as possible. Also, we have Dr. Makoto Ogihara. He is a transplant surgeon at Queen's Medical Center. And both doctors are giving an exciting lecture that's coming up in about a week or two that will really help to explain the process of handling kidney disease. Now, that affects a lot of folks here in the islands. Pretty much anybody knows somebody who's been affected by kidney problems because of the two major medical conditions that affect the kidneys the most, diabetes and high blood pressure. So we're going to talk about kidneys, and you're going to hear all about that today. We have got a panel of experts here in the studio. Don't forget, though, this show is your show, and you can always call in. And if you've ever had a kidney transplant, we'd love to hear from you, hear your experience about what went well and some things that maybe you were surprised about. You can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll-free, Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. Welcome, everybody, to The Body Show. Now, Dr. Wong, I want to put you in the hot seat first, and you're a nephrologist. You've been in practice for many years, and you really want to educate people about the kidneys. For those people who may not know, what do the kidneys do in your body? So there's a number of functions. The most important, well, the most commonly known and also one of the most important is it cleans your blood. It filters your blood of the wastes that are made by living cells and then dumped into the bloodstream to be to flow to the kidney to be filtered out. And also from a lot of the excess things that we put in our bodies, food, drink, that gets absorbed into our bloodstream, and any excess things like certain things, sodium, minerals, potassium, phosphorus, calcium, the excess that your body doesn't need also gets filtered out automatically by your kidneys if they're working well. So filtering your blood is one of the most important functions the kidney has. But it also has a number of other things. It prevents anemia. It maintains bone strength. It um, makes sure you have the right acid balance in your blood and body. So there's a lot of other things that it does as well. And how do we know our kidneys are working well? Well, you don't necessarily know when they're going down because it's a silent process when you have chronic kidney disease. Uh, if they're working well um, compared to if they're even as low as 30% function remaining, sometimes you feel exactly the same. You don't feel any different. Um, but uh, a lot of people think when they're um, actually facing dialysis, 
they don't understand that because they're still peeing like normal. But that doesn't mean that you're peeing out what you need. To, you're not filtering out what you need to filter out. So it's a silent process. It's hard to tell. So our kidneys pretty much act as a filter, and what they do is help to take all the stuff out of the body that is unnecessary, that if it builds up in the bloodstream could be dangerous. Right, certain and things. And sure, certain things. And when our kidneys don't work well, even if we're peeing, which is a huge misconception people have. If I'm peeing, their kidneys must be fine. Right. And in fact, if you have something build up in your bloodstream, it could be dangerous. What are some of the things that can happen when your kidneys don't work well? So if your kidneys aren't working well, you tend to um, develop anemia over time. You will have a low kidneys, red blood count. Sure, because your kidneys produce uh, hormones that hormone make, that a hormone that makes your give me bone blood, marrow. Right? Yes, it turns your bone marrow on and it t- makes the red cell, turns the bone red, red blood cell factory on, which is the bone marrow. So anemia could happen if your kidneys aren't working well. Right. What you else can, could happen? You can develop um, bone disease, which means weak bones. And and instead of the calcium and phosphorus going to your bones, they end up going elsewhere, in, like your blood vessels or your heart valves, the wrong place in your skin. So it can go to the wrong places. What about things with potassium, like arrhythmias? Could you get funny heart symptoms as a result of that? Yes. So some people, not everybody with kidney disease, but some people uh, eventually have problems with potassium excess in their blood, and that can be dangerous for heart rhythm, yes. So what are some of the medical conditions that people can really try and keep control of that have a direct impact on their kidneys if they don't? So like you said, the most common are diabetes. The causes of kidney disease is diabetes and high blood pressure. uh, Together, they probably constitute maybe 80% of our patients on dialysis today. Um, So controlling diabetes very tightly early when you're first developing diabetes. I'm, of course, better yet, you don't develop diabetes. So if you are pre-diabetic and you hear that, well, it might be time to learn how to not get diabetes. Um, But if you are diabetic, then tight control early on, very important. You can delay or even prevent chronic kidney disease if you tightly control. High blood pressure for everybody important to control it well, not just once a day, throughout the day and night. And so a lot of times people think they're well controlled, even if they're measuring their blood pressure at home once a day, they need to check a little more often, a little more different times. So throughout the day, tight blood, good blood pressure control. Um, There are a, a number of other things you can do to protect your kidneys, like certain classes of blood pressure drugs have been proven to be kidney protective. Um, making sure you don't have too much acid in your bloodstream, not stomach acid. Like, anytime we talk about acid, people think about heartburn oh, and oh, their stomach, sure. vinegar or, you know, or drink citrus, but it's blood acid. So the things that uh, make you more blood acidic are eating a lot of animal protein. Um, so maybe changing some of that up to vegetable protein instead. And um, uh, sometimes taking um, sodium bicarbonate or baking soda at, uh, with your doctor's, you know, purview. Um, it, it can be sometimes kidney protective as well. So there are some things we can do to help the kidneys, keep the diabetes lower, keep the blood pressure very well controlled, certain things we can add or subtract in our diet what are some of the things that harm the kidneys? If your sugars are too high, if your blood pressure is too high, how do you know if you're causing 
kidney problems for your body? Do you get it monitored periodically? So the best, because it's a silent process, um, you won't feel anything until very late in kidney disease. And one of the earliest signs that I wish um, would be more in the public health arena, um, some people will see something that they don't feel anything, but they will see a lot of bubbles in the toilet after they pee. So it will, it'll look like soap sudsy, froth, beer froth kind of bubbles, not just a few bubbles. I've said this before, and people come back and go, oh, you scared me. I, I have bubbles in my pee. I, everybody has some bubbles, and depending on how tall you are, you have more. Um, but if you have a lot of bubbles covering the t- toilet water after you pee. If you get beer foam after you pee, yes. you've got a problem. It would be good to check and make sure it's not excess protein leaking into your urine. And uh, so getting screened, like you just said, getting checked. If you have any other risk factors, like if you have prediabetes or diabetes, high blood pressure, if you've got any circulation problems like heart, like a stent to your heart, or you've had a stroke before, or a TIA, one of those temporary strokes, or you have poor circulation to your legs, anybody with poor circulation anywhere, um, they're at higher risk for kidney disease because it's, again, uh, an organ that depends on circulation. Um, there's a lot of other diseases. It, you know, recurrent kidney stones, they tend to be higher. If you had a prior history of kidney injury, um, kidney acute kidney injury, you're at higher risk for kidney disease. And you even mentioned kidney stones. Uh, yeah, so recurrent, one-time kidney stone, not likely, but if you have recurrent coming again and again. But there's a lot of other diseases, too, that are can hurt the kidney, inflammatory diseases, you know, arthritic, lupus-type. So there's a lot of even some cancers, but by far... Most common, the, most common is diabetes, diabetes high, pressure. high blood pressure. Yep. So if anybody has those two conditions, yep. make sure you get your kidneys checked, either a blood test and or a urine test, depending on what medication you're taking. Actually, both. Yeah, a blood test and a urine test annually. If they're negative, then remind your doctor annually, oh, hey, could I just check, make sure that I'm checking both my urine and for protein and the blood tests. And, and anybody with cardiovascular disease, definitely a risk factor, so... Well, and it's one of those things, you know, we think, oh, I just have blockages in my heart. And sometimes we don't realize that the blockages don't discriminate. If they're in your heart, they're also in the blood vessels to your kidney. They're in the blood vessels to your eyes, blood vessels to the rest of your body. So that the blockages might be symptomatic in your heart, but that doesn't mean that's the only place that they are. So be careful. Be on top of those sorts of conditions. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's certainly... It brings to mind the fact that I do think that often we just assume our kidneys are going to be fine, we're peeing fine, life is good, everything's great. How important is it just for general kidney health for everybody to just stay hydrated and be careful what types of fluids they're drinking? I think that's very important. But the whole eight glasses of water a day. Yeah. Yeah, somebody made that up. And boy, it took, it really, I wish we I could make up something like that yeah. that everybody listened yeah. to. But um Depends on how much you need to be hydrated. And that's kind of a difficult question, but you should really be in tune a little bit with how your body feels. If you feel um, like you're um, thirsty, that could be that you're dry already or dehydrated already, or it could be... It may not mean that. It may mean that you ate a ton of salt just now. You need to drink something. But um, but be, trying to avoid getting thirsty. And then just drinking, you know, through the day with your meals, in between meals, you know, here and there. But the more you sweat, the more you have diarrhea or throw up, the more you need to rehydrate, you know, put in more liquid. So in general, drink enough water so you don't mm-hmm. feel thirsty all the time. Yes. 
People talk about drinking enough water so that their pee is not dark yellow. It's kind of clear or clearish. Mm-hmm. And if you notice froth and other sorts of troubles, always better to get a check down. Yes. Now, out of people who have beginning kidney problems, how many of those progress to needing dialysis? So the large majority of people that have kidney disease um, do not end up on dialysis. The minority end up on dialysis or with kidneys being the first life-limiting organ. So the large majority actually don't get there. Um, But that said, Hawaii has one of the highest rates of kidney failure in the nation. And why is that? Is that because of the diabetes predominance, the high blood pressure? We've got this ethnic melting pot. So we see people of all different various ethnicities, and they come in, and they have a variety of different medical conditions. But we do have one of the highest rates of kidney failure. Yes. So I know Marge Mao and Jared Sugihara did a study um, a number of years back, and they thought we would find something really cool and like interesting different for why we have the highest rates of kidney failure in the nation. But it turned out it's largely due to diabetes. And maybe our ethnicity um, puts us at higher event rates for kidney failure for from diabetes. And within each ethnicity, they looked at um, Hawaiian, they looked at Japanese, Caucasians, uh, Chinese, and Filipino. Within each ethnicity, Hawaiians were at the highest um, rates of kidney disease within their ethnicity. So we do have some some ethnic predominance for having concerns about it, and we have a lot of dialysis centers, and, and luckily yes. we do, but hopefully we'll be able to prevent kidney disease yes. from happening to begin with. Now, one of the alternatives, well, I guess it's not really an alternative, but one of the things that can be done for people either on dialysis or pre-dialysis is something that we're going to talk a little bit more, kidney transplant. Now, Dr. Ogihara, you're a transplant surgeon. You have years years of experience, decades of experience, dealing with people who have kidney problems and doing transplants. When would someone want to consider or need to consider having a transplant? Someone who obviously has a kidney problem, whether it be kidney failure or close to it, at what point does someone like you get involved? The If you are already on dialysis, on the machine to keep you alive, then I think you should definitely consider kidney transplant as an option. Um, before, if you have to go to dialysis, if your kidney function is below a certain um, percentage, actually it's not a percentage, but to make it simple, uh, we we say normal kidney function is 100%. If the kidney function goes to, uh, we call this actually GFR, but if your kidney function is below 20%, you could qualify for kidney transplants already. So a transplant could be done prior to dialysis, but often is looked at because of a variety of different reasons after someone has already initiated dialysis. Because it, it's, not, it's not a fast process. That's right. Um, if you, I think we'll talk about this later more, but if you don't have any, let's say, family members or friends who could donate a kidney, otherwise you have to go on the national list, and waiting time could be as long as five to seven years. And there's a variety of different things that would qualify someone to be a match. Hawaii sometimes is a little more difficult because of our ethnic melting pot and the variety of different antigens and different things that kidneys can have, little proteins that, you know, you don't want to have somebody, quote, reject their organ. So there's a lot of different reasons why it would be more complicated. That's right. 
All right. We've got a caller on the line. We have Evan on the line from Maui. Evan, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, thank you for taking my call. What can we do for you? Um, if you have proteinuria, mm-hmm. uh, can it be reversed if it's uh, somewhat mild still? And uh, uh, the person talking before, the lady talking before, mentioned uh, not eating protein. I wonder if they would actually recommend a vegetarian diet if you did have proteinuria. And uh, can it be reversed? And also, um, do you excrete protein all the time? Because I, I have proteinuria, and um, I have foamy urine at sometimes, and sometimes I don't. Great questions, Evan. I really I appreciate you calling in because those are some things that people want to know. Uh, Dr. Ramona Wong, you you've have your entire career as an expert nephrologist. What sort of advice would you give to Evan? Can you see proteinuria reverse? So it depends on what causes the protein in the urine. So protein is a large particle that should not normally be in large large quantities in the urine um, because the filters of your kidney are sort of like a fine mesh net. But if something has damaged that the filters, which are like the walls of those arteries, tiny little arteries in your kidney, if something's damaged the filters and they make big pukas, then the protein, which is bigger, can leak through and get into the urine. So if there's something that's temporarily inflaming those the walls of those arteries, which act as your filters, then and you treat that or you get that inflammation under control, like let's say lupus, uh, you can treat the lupus, you get the lupus under control, you can decrease and bring back um, the health of the walls of those arteries that act as the filters for your kidneys. So, um, does, but, that, does that also include uh, high blood pressure and uh, high blood sugar as being inflammatory? And if you back off on that, will the walls of that, uh, uh, that those uh, tissue uh, respond to that? Generally, if there's protein in the urine from diabetes or high blood pressure, um, the the insult from the high sugar or the high pressure has been long enough that those holes are permanent. Um, so there will always be the ability for you to spill protein into your urine. But the amount that you spill into your urine can be controlled or diminished or even brought back to the, quote, normal range or reference range. If you pay attention, if you're... So if you're early on, you don't have a lot of those holes. And um, so you have what they call microalbuminuria, small amounts of protein in your urine. And you take medications that decrease the pressure inside of those tiny little blood vessels. Then those have shown that you can revert back to the reference range level of protein in your urine. But um, for those who are in the what they call macroalbuminuria or the frank proteinuric stage where it's more than... 300 milligrams of albumin or per gram of creatinine. So it's a larger amount. Um, those usually don't come all the way back to reference range, even though you're doing your best to control the pressure systemically throughout your body, systolic blood pressure, as well as pressure within those tiny little filters, the glomeruli. But um, the amount that you spill will vary. And so if you eat a large protein meal, like you go to Ruth, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say, oh, yeah, you, can you say eat a big steak. Sure. <laughs> I think you're going to say Ruth Chris, that's okay, you're allowed, you're going somewhere for sorry. steak, Evan, you're going for steak, we don't want to make you hungry, I don't know if Ruth Chris is in Maui, if it isn't, I'm sorry, I brought up steak, but okay, so so if you eat like a huge 
steak, you could spill more protein. Correct. You would think if you're spilling protein, a lot of people intuitively would think, I'm spilling protein, I should eat more protein. But the more Mm. protein you eat, the more protein you end up spilling. Which brings up Evan's other question, which is, um, so you don't spill it all the time, but the other question is, can you change your diet? Can you just not eat animal protein, stick to vegetable protein, whether it be soy products, tofu, some other source, to get the protein and therefore not get it from animal protein if that's more dangerous? Well, so it's the quantity of protein. So regardless of whether it's vegetable protein or animal, um, it will, if you eat it in large enough portions, it will spill into your urine and that could be associated with uh, maybe hastening some of the damage that goes along with it. But... um, Changing up some of your... So do I recommend a vegetarian diet for kidney patients? Um, I think there are some valuable benefits of going leaning towards plant-based proteins and plant-based diet for kidney patients, but it needs to be done with the help of somebody who understands how to do this because um, some of the things in plant-based diets can also accumulate in kidney patients. And so you have to do it carefully with somebody helping and with your doctor, you know, monitoring along with you your blood tests and your levels on certain things. But generally speaking, yes, I, I like more plant, less animal. All right. Well, that's that's a general good guideline, but certainly something we have to consider. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ramona Wong, nephrologist, Dr. Makoto Ogihara, transplant surgeon. We are going to hear from Alan Young and Dora Young soon. They are a transplant family. And when we come right back after this quick break, we're going to talk some more about that whole process. How does it take place? What happens? And if you are willing to be a donor or if you have been one, it would be great to hear from you about your experience as well. You can always join our conversation at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. On the next Humankind. Coming into camp, they may have hated every single person on the other side, just as a matter of course, but the attitude changes. A remarkable summer camp in Maine brings together teenagers from opposing sides of world conflicts. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. This evening at 6.30, right after Marketplace. I listen to the news every single morning. Pretty much that's my way of getting the news. I also listen to the news at night. It's usually BBC Africa, but... That's what I listen to. Pretty much I don't change the dial very much, and I probably shouldn't admit to that, but my station is HPR. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, presenting Art After Dark with the theme Art in a Time of Chaos, this Friday at 6 p.m., HonoluluMuseum.org. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with my panel of experts. We have been hearing from Dr. Ramona Wong. She is a nephrologist who teaches kidney classes island-wide, actually. Dr. Wong, you mentioned you teach classes through Aloha Kidney, that people can hear about them, go to websites, and we'll 
talk more about that in just a minute. And also we have Dr. Makoto Ogihara, transplant surgeon. He's the guy who puts the new kidney in, hooks it up, gets it working, and helps people like Alan Young, a living kidney recipient, and Dora Young, sister of Alan, who is gets award for best sister ever. I'm just going to give you that award because you actually donated a kidney to your brother. Now, before the break, we were talking with Evan from Maui. He asked some great questions. What do you do if you have this protein loss? Is it all the time? Can your diet change things? We heard from Dr. Wong a bit about that. Uh, Dr. Ramona, tell me, you teach these, you mentioned that, you know, Maui is calling in. How great the people from all different islands can get a chance to hear the show. How can people access some of the information you have? You have like a webinar. You have information that people can go to your website and hear about kidneys. So for those folks who might be a little shy and don't want to call in or who might want to hear more about what we just discussed with Evan, where where can they get more information? So we have a website. It's uh, com. So it's Aloha Kidney is the program, and it's uh, we provide free a uh, series of classes. It's a you know, and of course it's not nothing's mandatory, um, but there's six sessions once a week, two and a half hours each session, and so we um, are re- we're hosted at um, every in on every island and. On the Big Island, we have three sites that host us. So throughout the year, maybe three times a year, we provide the series to the our neighbor islands. And on Oahu, we have three sites that I do the classes in person um, throughout the year. So if people really have a lot of questions how to keep their kidneys healthy, they can actually hear from you in person, and then also take a look at alohakidney.com, get some more information about when the classes are available, where they're available, and learn more. Yes. Fantastic. Thanks for calling in, Evan from Maui. You helped us to remember Mm -hmm. that Dr. Wong does some traveling and can really help bring kidney information to you. Now, I want to talk briefly, Dr. Ogihara, you are a transplant surgeon, so you help people who have decided or have found a match for their kidney to actually get a new kidney. It's not an easy process. You mentioned if you go in the National Register, it could take five to seven years or so. What are some of the criteria that qualify someone to be a kidney donor? And then I'm going to ask also to be a kidney recipient because there has to be this little matchmaking process, right? What are we matching? That's right. I think uh, maybe we should talk about the how how you become a kidney tra- transplant recipient first. Um, if you are already in dialysis or if you are expected to um, require dialysis soon, I think you should qualify. But we have to make sure your other parts of the body are strong enough to tolerate uh, the uh, surgical procedure. Sure, because it's not like five minutes. It takes a while. Surgery usually takes about two hours. Yeah. And it's um, it's only done by the highly trained uh, transplant teams and also um, the surgeons. So... Procedure itself is about two hours and usually goes well. Uh, I think the most frustrating part is that uh, being prepared for the transplant surgery itself and also how you, um, well, you have to learn new medication, new lifestyle after transplant. So those preparations take a long time. What is the new lifestyle about? Uh, The kidney is, uh, even if it's from family member, it's not your own body part. So you have to take special medication called immunosuppression uh, that will lower your immune system and has some side effects you have to learn. Um, and also, um, after transplant, you have to do a frequent blood test to monitor your um, new kidney function too. 
So um, you need to do a lot of uh, uh, education and teaching too. So not everybody who potentially wants to get a transplant could if they're not able to do some of the required testing or if they can't take certain medication so that they don't reject their kidney. You really have to, there's quite a few criteria you have to meet. That's right. To make it a safe medical procedure. That is correct. Because, you know, for the kidney, as opposed to many other organs, the kidney is one of those organs where if you needed to be on dialysis and stay on that lifelong, you could. So if you're going to go to the rigor of doing a transplant, we got to make sure it's in your best interest. That's right. All right. We've got a caller on the line. We have Paul on the line from Maui. Paul, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Aloha. Um, I had a kidney cancer a few years ago. I had, a, I had um, an operation and had the kidney cancer cut out. But I'm wondering if um, there's any symptoms that I should be watching out for or anything, because I was like a complete surprise. It came. I, I found out about it because I had a problem with my gallbladder, and they did a, um, an X-ray and, and, and saw a, kind of a shadow on the kidney and said, mm, we should take a look at that. And um, it turned out to be kidney cancer. I'll take my answer off here. Thank you very much. It's, it's a great question, Paul. You know, Paul's wondering, he's had kidney cancer. He's had either part of his kidney out or maybe one of the two out, what should he watch out for? Which is very similar to what we would say to someone who's had a transplant. You only have one or you have one and a half in this situation. Be very nice to it. Be really nice because you don't want that one to develop a problem. In his case, it wasn't kidney failure. It was kidney cancer. Dr. Wong, when you have a situation like that, is there a presumption that your kidney is relatively healthy? You just had this extra cancer, so you take out the cancer. The remainder of your kidney should work fairly well and keep you protected from building up those toxins in your body? Yes. If there's nothing else affecting the kidney function, uh, he, you should do just fine with the one and a half kidneys remaining. But Or even one, if that's or the even case. Or even one. Okay. But, I mean... Thank God for the gallbladder problem, right? So you know, what a blessing that was. Yeah, talk about a serendipity. But then also keep your blood pressure down, keep your blood sugar down. Do those things that you need to do to make sure that you don't negatively impact your kidney like you would do anyway. I think it's a reminder that we only, um, you know, our bodies are a gift and taking care of your body, uh, if it's a priority for you, cancer and having kidney disease, all these chronic conditions, I think, are just reminders about what a gift we have and how, if we focus on taking care of our gift, it will last longer and do better. So just take care of yourself. And that's the whole thing, not just your body, not just your physical, not just what you eat or your exercising. It's really the whole you. And um Dr. Kozak, you were saying earlier about stress and sure. you know what you nurture your body with and you're inclusive of your mind and your emotions and your you know spiritual thought processes. Everything matters. And everything, if it's neglected, will take a toll on you. So I think it's uh, being good to yourself, caring about yourself. It's All of these things are reminders that we could do, you know, it, it's choice. All these things are choices that we make every single day. Well, and congrats to you, Paul, because... You know, lucky, luckily your doctor said, hey, let's check out this gallbladder. Ooh, we see another shadow. And then you just went right forward and said, let's take care of it. Let's take this out, whatever it is. And, you know, kidney cancer, if caught early, can be curative by removing it. It's often not caught until it's advanced. And that's the situation that we try and avoid because once it's advanced or once it's spread, it's much harder to treat. So 
It was a serendipitous gallbladder problem, Paul. I hope you never have any other troubles with your kidneys, but it sounds like you've done the right thing. So good job. And thanks for sharing your experience with us. If you've ever had a kidney transplant or you're on dialysis and want to know if that's a possibility for you, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ramona Wong, Dr. Makoto Ogihara. They're both at Queens Medical Center and experts in kidney and kidney transplants. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Now I want to talk with Alan and Dora. The Dora is the sister of Alan. You are a living kidney donor for your brother. Tell me a little bit about what you had to do in order to qualify to be a donor for your brother? Well, once I decided I wanted to be a donor, I contacted the Queens Medical Center Transplant Center, and I went through some rigorous testing, blood tests, urine tests. Um, make sure you're healthy. Yeah, right. Know, to make okay. sure your whole body is healthy, not just your blood and your urine, but you know your heart, um, your abdomen, make sure that everything's good. So... It wasn't a guarantee that you were going to be a kidney donor. You had to actually be a match. Correct. Okay. Dr. Ogihara, what, do I, what am I saying when I say you have to be a match? What does that mean? The match has two uh, meanings. One is blood type match. The other one is, um, let me simplify, gene match. The gene match is not as important as blood type match. So if you are, let's say, blood type O, you could donate to any blood type. But if, you, if your blood type is, let's say, A, you, have to do, you, you cannot donate to um, somebody who has a blood type of B or, a, um, B or O. So you need to be a blood type match. Because if you're not a blood type match, it's not going to work. That is right. Okay. And then you also have these other genetic factors that have to be similar enough that you won't reject the kidney. That's right. So the other um, match is called HLA typing, and with really good immunosuppression medication uh, that you take after a kidney transplant, this is not as important as it used to be. But if your blood HLA is closer, then you have a less chance of rejection, which means kidney tends to last longer. And that's the goal. Keep the kidney as long as possible. All right. Let's hear from Alan. Alan, you are a living kidney recipient, which means that you had kidney troubles. How old were you or or what happened that cost you your kidney function? What was going on? It was strange. I wasn't a diabetic or hypertension. I had a disease called polycystic, polycystic kidneys. Happened about 30 years ago. And my general physician and my nephrologist were monitoring me over the past 30 years to make sure I could keep the kidney I had as long as I could. But eventually, the kidney started failing. I started getting less and less kidney function, and then I needed to either go on dialysis or get a transplant. And so did you ever do dialysis? No, I did not. I was all prepared to go for it. I was already put on a transplant list. I was set to go in for um, shunt implantation and all the necessary things to go for transplant, I mean, for uh, dialysis. dialysis. Okay. Yes. And then your sister said, okay, let me see if I'm a match. Let me see if I can do this. And in that sort of a situation, you had been put on the transplant list. How long had you expected to maybe be on that list? I expected to be on their list for about five to seven years. Because that's about the average, Dr. Ogihara told us. You know, if you get put on the list, it's a national list. Yes. Where did you have any particular 
um, genetic reasons why it would have been more difficult for you? That might be hard for you to answer, Dr. O'Hara. Would you know if there would be, what would be the reason why someone might be more difficult to match on that national list? If you have what is called preformed antibodies, then it may be difficult to find kidneys which will be a match for you. And previous uh, kidney transplants, previous uh, pregnancies, or previous blood transfusions, those three incidents could actually form antibodies in your body by mixing other people's blood into your system. So what would make a sibling donor attractive? What would make that a good situation or circumstance? Their HLA typing is closer than compared that's to the strangers. Genetics? Okay, that's right. all right. Uh, so as long as blood type is compatible, uh, if, it, if the blood type is matched, then siblings, um, that's, a, that's a great donor. And Dora, I've got to ask you, did you, did you have a lot of difficulty making the decision? I mean, I think of my siblings and I'm like, all right, if they really needed a kidney and promised they would be really good, maybe I would do it. But I mean, that's a huge emotional commitment and a huge physical commitment to say, I'm going to do this. Was that process hard for you? No. Um, I made that decision 30 years ago when I found out that um, Alan, Alan had the polycystic had the, kidney right. and you obviously did not. Yes. And okay. so I knew there would be one day that his kidneys would fail. So I knew in my mind that it was a no-brainer. I was going to be ready and be there for him. So when he told me, and I would always ask him, how's your kidney? How's your kidney? And he would say, oh, it's it's stable. It's stable. And then, you know, it came to the point where it the was The answer time. wasn't stable anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I said, okay, what do I need to do? And so uh, you started the process. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, are there other family members, I would imagine, that you have who have polycystic kidney? Because it is a genetic, it's a genetic issue or nobody else you know of. It was the a, only one. Yeah, it was a strange thing. I went back on my history. I went and we checked on everything. I'm the only one who has it. So that, that is strange, Alan. Yes. But it's got to start somewhere. Yeah. I guess it started with you. Yes. Okay. So when you found out that you had this, you knew when you were quite young that this was potentially going to impact your kidney function over time. You mentioned you're not diabetic. You don't have high blood pressure. You really worked hard to keep those conditions from occurring because you wanted to keep those kidneys as happy as possible. Yes, that's correct. And you've done a good job of it. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ramona Wong, Dr. Makoto Ogihara. And we just heard from Alan Young and Dora Young. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about the whole process of what is the process of transplant. And if you have a loved one who's on dialysis, how would you know if you qualify to be a transplant candidate? And what can you do to keep your kidneys and hopefully keep your family's kidneys as healthy as possible? We'll be back after a quick break. But remember, if you've ever had a transplant or if you have some thoughts on wanting to be a donor, we'd love to hear from you. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. It's a week-long celebration of women in the arts, especially music, along with a variety of luncheons, workshops, and gatherings. The goal, providing motivation to start a business, motivation to do something different, motivation to grow. We'll meet the creator of Wahine Week tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation.
During an election year, news coverage can start to sound the same. And that's where NPR comes in. I'm Asma Khalid. Domenico Montanaro. Sam Sanders. Scott Detrow. Danielle Kurtzleben. Carrie Johnson. To tell stories about the election from all different angles. I cover demographics and the campaign. Political editor. Campaign reporter. Cover tech and politics. Digital political reporter. Justice course. We take you on a journey. White House correspondent. Through the issues. I cover Congress. And inform you about the world as it changes. Listen every day. Weekdays at noon. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii, Ulupono Initiative, and Hawaii Pacific University. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. Today we're talking kidney. What happens to the kidney when it doesn't work as well? What can we do to protect it? And if you need to, what should we do about things like dialysis and transplant? We've been talking with Dr. Ramona Wong. She's a nephrology expert and has made her mission educating people about the importance of their kidneys. She goes island-wide, and you can also click onto the alohakidney.com website and find some of her informational videos on kidneys and find out when the next episode might be in your neighborhood as well. We also have Dr. Makoto Ogihara. He's a transplant surgeon and expert in helping to get new kidneys to those who need them. It can be life-saving, and it's a difficult procedure, but somebody's got to have that technical expertise, and he does. We also have Ellen Young. He is a living kidney recipient. Found out he had polycystic kidney disease, one of the only members of his family so far to have that. And his sister, Dora Young, who said, 30-some years ago, if Alan's kidneys need help, I'm going to give him one of mine. That's a really amazing gift that you were able to to provide, Dora. I think that's absolutely fantastic. I'm curious, Alan... You have kids, and there's always the question that comes up, do they want to know if they have this problem or not? How old were you when you found out? I was about 23. And how did you find out? I just happened to have kidney stones. So when I went to the nephrologist, urologist, they did a series of checks, and they found it out with the ultrasound. So that's when you first found out? Yes. When What sort of things have you told your kids about trying to find out? Would they want to know? That's right now we're not sure yet. Yeah. We, there's no reason to test my family for it yet until there's a later age. Okay. Yeah. So at that later age, would you want them to be tested to be proactive and find out? Um, it would or maybe be an, not. Maybe not, yeah. But then he's we he knows the importance of being hydrated and being healthy. And at this time, he's still very healthy. Gotcha. So hydration, keep those kidneys happy. Yes. Don't get diabetes. Don't get high blood pressure. Really work on keeping your body healthy overall so that you don't have to deal with potential kidney problems unless you have to. Yes. All right. And Dora, I'm curious, when you made this commitment to give a kidney to Alan, what was your recovery like? I mean, not only here you are as a healthy person going in for a procedure, you are giving a kidney and Alan, you're receiving it. What was what was the process of recovery like for you? Actually, the process of recovery was quite remarkable. Um, I didn't have any um, symptoms or any problems recovering, and it the whole process made me feel like I was healthier because I would treat my body better. I would drink more water, stay hydrated. Um, so you stay you tend to stay healthier because you want to 
take care of that one kidney that you have. You've got to take care of that kidney. It's the only one you got. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm curious, Dr. Wong, when somebody is a has one kidney or when they donate a kidney does that remaining kidney tend to work maybe a little harder than a hundred percent could it work like a hundred and twenty percent does it ramp up its function in order to accommodate for the fact that it is the only kidney now yes we see that um the remaining kidney works harder so um, rather than lose your blood being half as clean because you've removed one of your kidneys, um, it's maybe about 75 to 80% as clean. So that other remaining kidney has kind of picked up its work. Um, but you're right, it, donating one um, helps you to remember how valuable what you, know, what you have is. Yourself, yes. sure. sure, it's going to make me like leave here and drink a gallon of water just to stay <laughs> hydrated. Going to hate myself in the middle of the night when I have to get up and pee all night, but I'll look for froth, no foam. That's the goal. All right, we've got John on the line from Kona. John, welcome to the Body Show. Yeah, aloha from beautiful Big Island. Um, I have have had kidney stones, two attacks, um, high blood pressure, borderline diabetic, so kidney's an important issue for me. And I just went to class with a Chinese. Qigong master, and she was talking about how the kidney was in a very important median and important organ of the body. So I asked her what foods she recommended for kidney health, and her response was black, um, black foods like black beans. Uh, I've also heard about cranberry juice being good for flushing the kidneys. Do you have any recommendations or advice on foods for kidney health? It's a good question. I mean, and I think, John, you know, what you're bringing up is the thought of what can I do proactively to help my kidneys? So I'm all about being proactive, and I think it's fabulous. Now, curious, because I I honestly don't have enough proficiency in uh, Qigong to know what they do as far as how to determine what is healthy for the kidneys. But, you know, black beans, which is a bean, which is a vegetable, kind of sounds like it's on the right path. I mean, if she said, go eat burgers and fries, I'd be a little bit more suspicious. I don't think a Qigong master would say that. But, you know, bringing up the the idea of eating beans, which have a lot of different healthy ingredients, certainly to me sounds like it's an excellent thing to do, a good source of of vegetable-based protein or protein that does not come from an animal. And, you know, and I'll, Dr. Wong, I'm going to put you in the hot seat in a minute, but I tell patients with cranberry, particularly women who get frequent bladder infections, the eating of cranberries produces a very mild kind of acidity to the urine that kills low levels of bacteria, which is good because if you get chronic infections and you need to take lots of antibiotics, that has an effect on your body, your kidney, your stomach, your whole GI tract, etc. So if you do have a problem with frequent infections, cranberry can actually be a helpful way to try and reduce the number of bacteria that sort of colonize the bladder and can cause problems. Dr. Wang, I'm curious your thoughts on, because, you know, a lot of times we hear about people in other medical venues, whether it be a Qigong master or someone of another medical genre. And although what they say at first might seem like, what? When you really think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense. Eat more vegetables, eat things that actually can help reduce bacteria in the bladder. It kind of sounds like it's, it's legit. 
I don't pretend to know everything in Western medicine. Clearly, we don't know a lot of things. So I'm open to um, all aspects of health and wellness and management. Um, I do um, feel the same as you with cranberry juice. It's not so much that it flushes the kidney or flushes out toxins and even, you know, the, you know, drinking huge amounts of water or water, there's some water okay, fasting Okay, I won't things. drink a gallon, I Well, promise. I'm no. <laughs> just, no, I mean, I I've, had, I've had, no, I know, I've had some people ask about fasting and just drinking water. And so I don't, anything extreme like that is um, actually not based in science or not really based in truth. But um, so the cranberry juice is good for... Um, exactly what you talked about as far as bladder infection or colonization, but it doesn't really necessarily help the kidney. It doesn't um, hurt. It doesn't help. It doesn't it's hurt it, but it doesn't necessarily protect it. Um, it is good hydration, and it is, you know, plant-based. So, What about the beans? Good idea? I have no problem with beans. Um, sometimes the if you have advanced kidney disease, um, a lot of, I mean, the volume, because beans have protein and they have uh, natural potassium and phosphorus. So sometimes the volume uh, or quantity needs to be, again, you know, in um, appropriate sizes. Moderation, yes. sure. So don't just eat beans for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right. But if you're going to add beans, it could be a healthy yes. vegetable-based source of protein yes. that is not animal-based, which in general might be healthier for the body. Yes. Okay. Particularly, you know, we all hear about plant-based diets help to reduce incidences of heart disease and re lower blood pressure. And there's a lot of benefits to having a plant-based diet. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's not that people should never eat animal protein, but when you're looking right. at a healthy source, a vegetable source might be a better source than than an animal source, if possible. So, And healthful right. animal sources, I think we have to be aware of processing. Mm. So it's the processing where there's a lot of additives, which um, in particular for kidney patients with reduced kidney function or reduced GFR, they're unable to get rid of a lot of those additives promptly. So then they start to accumulate in their bodies and cause trouble with bones or blood vessels and heart health. So I think we need to look at the source of our food and the quality of our food sources. Sure. Omega-3s from fish is wonderful, but deep frying it and making it taste fabulous and slathering it with, with you know, tartar sauce is probably not the healthiest form of fish. Fish is good. Be careful how we prepared it. Right. All right. Now I'm hungry. Okay. <laughs> we have Kat on the line from Maui. Kat, I'm not hungry for, uh, for super fried food, I swear. What can we do for you today? Oh, hi. Um, I'm Kat, and I'm a living donor. Hi, Dr. Bob. Hi, and, um, I just wanted to share my story, or if you had questions about being a living donor, and um, I just wanted to kind of promote it because there's so much people on the waiting list, and living with one kidney is safe and, and you know, healthy. Well, what a wonderful thing and gift that you gave, Kat. Who did you donate a kidney to? I donated it to a woman in um, California, uh, anonymous. Not so, anonymous, but someone that wasn't related to me. So you did a living donor, and Dr. Wong, you, you know her. Katz is an altruistic donor, so she donated her kidney to somebody she didn't even know. I mean, you know, had a, didn't have a relationship with. And so yeah. it's really um, it's a beautiful That's an amazing thing. thing. What made you decide to do that, Kat? Um, it was a, 
it was through a prayer intercessor, and I just felt like it was what what God basically wanted me to do, and all the signs were, you know, we were the right um, blood type. I just kind of fell in love with this lady when I read her email requesting for prayer, and I I started the process, and we ended up being a perfect match, and it's just been a wonderful experience for me. I'm getting chicken skin, Kat. I mean, here you are reading the story of this woman, and then you find out, like, you are her perfect match. It's giving me goosebumps. I mean, talk about (laughs) wondering if there's a higher power and did they bring you to do this? I don't know. I'm going to have to say, Kat, that sounds like more than just a coincidence. Yeah, it it felt like it was a calling, and I felt like I needed to obey that, and there was no question to the matter, and I just did it. And the experience, I felt like it was it benefited me a whole lot, and um, we just love to share our story and help others that, you know, want to go through the, the transplant process as well as um, have gone through it. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you for sharing your story and also for being so bold and just saying, I'm going to follow this. I feel like it's the right thing to do. And donating a kidney, that is a huge commitment to helping out other people and something that I really do hope more more of us feel inclined to do. You know, it's certainly a huge gift on your part. And I'm certain the woman whose life you changed in California is highly appreciative of it. Now, Dr. Okihara, what types of kidneys do we transplant? Because we just heard from Kat, she gave a kidney to someone she didn't know. We have Dora here. She gave a kidney to her brother. Are all kidneys from living donors? Do we have organ donation? Is that also a way that someone could be in a transplant list? And do we have enough of that? Um, I asked you like a five-part question. So we'll start with the basics. Where do you get the kidneys from? Right. I think um, uh Still, about two-thirds of the kidney transplants uh, nationwide are from the uh, cadaveric. Uh, so someone has passed somebody, on. They've right. decided they're, a, they're an organ donor, and after they have unfortunately become brain dead, they, if it's healthy enough, their kidney or kidneys could be transplanted right. into another individual. Mm-hmm. And those are allocated according to the uh, national policy. So if you go on the list, then you have to wait for your turn and take some uh, three to seven years uh, on average. Uh, if you have a living donor, so the living donor can be your family members, a parent, uh, child, siblings. Uh, you can, uh, it can have be from That's right. You can have kidneys from your friends, uh, and also you can have kidneys from strangers. If it's a strangers, um, you could donate your kidney to certain um like a directed group, donation. Yes, but okay. you don't have to direct your kidney. You can just give out to anybody. Then uh, there's a way to um, allocate to the uh, most appropriate person. So either it's a directed donation to the list or it's a directed donation to an individual. Mm-hmm. If you if you are an organ donor, then those organs, you said two-thirds of all kidney transplants, will come from that situation. And in that case, it would go to whoever is the most appropriate blood type, match as much as possible, and who's highest on the list as far as either waiting a long time or having a critical illness that would require a kidney immediately. That's right. 
So it's a pretty fair system. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, so maybe I watch too much TV, and why I watch medical dramas when I'm a physician is actually beyond me. But why do I feel like I've seen on like Grey's Anatomy or ER or something where there was like this whole domino of donations? So one person gives to this person whose wife gives to that person who has somebody else who gives to someone else. Is that just fantasy Hollywood, or do we really do have situations where there's like this domino effect of kidney donation? Do we do uh, actually that? That's um, that's very possible. Uh, there there are a couple of uh, organizations who arrange the uh, multiple um, kidney donations, especially among the the recipients who have hard time finding the match. Uh, what is called sensitized patients who have a lot of antibodies, and let's say um, they have family members who want to donate, but they because of the uh, antibodies they cannot donate because uh, it'll be rejected right away. So those patients are placed on the uh, actually, there's a living um, recipient list, and the living donor can be um, collected nationwide. And if somebody wants to donate anonymously to uh, um, anybody, then that can become a kidney to a stranger. And then, actually, that the person's uh, donor can donate to somebody else, and then that'll that'll. Um, create a do- domino effect. And so it then, sounds kind of Hollywood, but let me just sort yeah, of... It can happen. Actually, it, the 30 or um, 15 or 30 uh, pairs of uh, kidney uh, recipients and donors could have um, transplants. Hopefully not all at the same time or you're not going home because <laughs> you're going to be in the OR all night. So if Dora couldn't couldn't donate to Alan, but Alan knew somebody who could and that person also needed transplant, Dora could donate to somebody else and someone else could have, their husband or wife could have donated to Alan or something. So I can sort of put it in terms I understand, which somehow I understood it on Grey's Anatomy, but I I don't know why I watched that show. I just, I should stop medical dramas after hours. All right. So we have learned a whole lot about the kidney. Now there's so much more to learn. So, you know, Dr. Wong, you're, you're, you do this alohakidney.com type of education, but there's also something else you're doing. Tell me about that. Right, so Queens is uh, has a, I think a monthly community um, session for health education for the community free, and so it's called Speaking of Health, and there's a Speaking of Health um, lecture coming up on June 29th, which is Wednesday. And from, you're the lecturer. Uh, I'm. We're all there, so I'm there. Makoto is there. Dr. Ogihara is there, and Dora and Alan are also there. So we're all going to be there, and uh, it's. 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. free at the Queen's Conference Center. And they can call uh, the Queen's referral line, 691-7117, if they want to uh, enroll. Or call Queen's and ask for the uh, referral line so they can enroll for the speaking of health. It's called, Are You at Risk for Chronic Kidney Disease? All right. Well, I want to thank all of you for sharing your expertise with us today. I appreciate you being on. Alan, Dora, Dr. Wong, Dr. Ogihara, we all need to work harder to make sure we keep our kidneys healthy, but also think about helping those whose kidneys may not be as healthy. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.